Hi, this is Pastor Dave Rosales, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. If you've been impacted by these Bible studies, we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're listening through iTunes, Google Play, or any other platform, tap on the stars and leave us a review. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. If you'd like to support this ministry, would you consider partnering with us? Visit our website at calvaryccv.org and click on Give. You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support. And now let's begin today's message. We're going to be looking at an introduction to spiritual warfare. And we'll be looking at verses 10 through 13 in that introduction. And uh, so allow me to begin reading to you at verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. I'll read to verse 13, and uh, we'll get into our study. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Paul writes, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so as we come to this portion of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is speaking concerning spiritual warfare. Now, I want to remind you of a few things as I introduce this particular subject and these verses to you. I remind you that the, uh, the book of Ephesians can be broken into three words, sit, walk, stand. From chapter 1 to chapter 3, he wrote concerning our position in Jesus. Ephesians 2.6 tells us that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, places. So he taught that believers are blessed. He taught that because we're in Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He said we are chosen in him, holy and without blame, that we're adopted, accepted in the beloved, that we're redeemed through his blood, forgiven of sins, that we've obtained an inheritance, that we're sealed with the spirit of promise who guarantees our inheritance until he takes us to be with him, resulting in praise to his glory. So we who are Gentiles have been grafted into the vine. We're heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Jesus by the gospel. And because this is true, as Christians, we need to know that we are seated in Jesus Christ because this knowledge gives us security. It establishes our confidence. So we have boldness. We have access to God. We have confidence through faith in Jesus. Like what it says in Hebrews 4.16, where the writer said, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So from there, Paul began to speak concerning the walk of the believer. Our walk originates with our understanding of who we are in him. So chapter 4 tells us, as believers, we walk worthy of the call. We have lowliness. We have gentleness. We have long-suffering. We have love for one another. We are in the Spirit. We keep the unity and the bond of peace. We have one hope. We respect and listen to our spiritual leaders. We exercise our gifts. We do the work of ministry, and as we mature, we reject false teaching. 
He says, we live holy lives. We speak truth. Reject carnal anger. We live honestly. We're generous to others. We reject corrupt words, and instead we edify one another. And this works out in our marriages, our families, and in our workplaces. So now we're going to enter into the third portion of the letter, stand. We're going to be looking at spiritual warfare. Notice how he begins here in verse 10, where he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know who you are. You know how you're to live. Now you need to learn how to fight. The battle that you're in is not a battle against human enemies. The battle that we are in is spiritual in nature. We need God's spirit in order to win. Notice how he says in verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, when he speaks of being strong in the Lord, this is speaking of an internal strength. Be filled with power. Strengthen your resolve. And our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in his might, in his power, in his ability, in his strength. It's like what it says in Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So your strength for the battle comes from God. It doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from our own resolve. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And so he's speaking concerning the fact that we're seated in Christ, we're walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in that position, we fight. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, putting on the whole armor of God is standing in the completeness of Jesus Christ. This is another application of being strong in the power of his might. In Romans 13, 14, he had said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, because of our position in him, we are clothed. We are clothed in his righteousness. And according to chapter 4, verse 13, it is his righteousness that we stand in. He said in chapter 4, verse 24, that we're to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is for us to be able to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. The word uh, wild speaks of his tactics. When he says to stand, that's speaking of standing in a firm position. And so we're going to be looking at a, uh, a study on spiritual warfare. And so for the next few studies, I will systematically teach you concerning a couple of things at least. One, we're going to, today we're going to be looking at the origin of spiritual warfare. Then we're going to move on to the weapons of our warfare. Now, the position I teach from is from the position of the victor. That's because the war has already been won by Jesus Christ. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus is declared to be the conqueror of Satan. This victory was determined from eternity. It was fulfilled on the cross. In Revelation 13, verse 8, it says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So God's plan for salvation was revealed very early in human history. After Adam and Eve had fallen, God immediately declared a plan of redemption. God made a promise. He said, I will send a redeemer. This redeemer will destroy the works of the enemy. In Genesis 3.15, God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, which was Eve, and between your seed and her seed, which is Messiah. He shall bruise your head. 
you shall bruise his heel. And that happened on the cross. That's something declared in the New Testament. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, the writer said, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Satan promotes sin, and death followed as its penalty. And because of this, he's presented as having the power of death. But Jesus took upon himself human flesh. He became a substitute for us. He took upon human flesh so that he might render Satan inoperative. It was Satan's activity that introduced sin, death following as its penalty. But Jesus destroyed him through his work of salvation on our behalf. Now, it said that he destroyed him who had the power of death. That word destroy means to render powerless, to make inoperative. You see, in Jesus' resurrection, he conquered sin, the grave, and the devil. That means by virtue of the fact that we are in him, we have victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57, we read, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, so we don't have to fear death. Now, I don't run around um, seeking to die. I'm not going to step outside in front of a car tonight saying, I can't die. No, I'd die. I'm not dumb. I don't challenge those things. I don't, I don't act in a, in a way that is um, foolish, and I certainly respect the fact that in death there's a lot of things that happen to those who remain behind. A lot of grief, a lot of sorrow, missing all of those things. I understand that. I don't negate that at all. What I do, though, is I realize that death doesn't have the final victory. I realize that though I close my eyes here, I open my eyes there. I, I know that my name is written in his book of life. I know that. I know there'll be a glad reunion with my family and friends who've gone before me. I know that too. That gives me hope. And so it's not like we challenge the enemy and all of that. He just hasn't kept me in fear. I'm not afraid of death itself. Why? Because I have victory in Christ. I have life in Jesus Christ. And so he can't, he can't keep me afraid, you know. And, and, and there were many, and, and even to this day there still are, who are afraid of so many different things. I, I still blow my mind, and um, that's an old term, but I'm an old man. That's an old term. But I still see that. I, I, I still see people uh, driving by themselves with their windows rolled up with three masks on. I still see that. <laughs> And it's that fear. It's that fear of death that is keeping them in bondage. It's that fear. I'm not saying we ought to tempt, but I'm certainly not going to be afraid of something. And so there are people who are still doing that and all of that. But because we're Christians, we don't have to live in constant fear. We have victory through Christ. And as a result of his victory, we have a tremendous blessing. You see, we are already more than conquerors because of him. In Romans 8, 35 through 37... Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, the war has been won, but battles continue. It's a spiritual war, and our enemies aren't visible. And the strategies that are planned against us are not human, human strategies. That means that we need to be constantly aware of this. The enemy does everything he can to keep us in bondage to fear. He does everything he can to steal our hope. He does all that he can to undermine our joy. We need to be aware of that. And I'll share a little bit with you right now about that. I was wondering, should I share this? I will. I'll share this with you. Why not? Um, okay, so some of you noticed I wasn't here this week. We were gone. My wife and I went to Idaho. And so we left on Friday, on Friday. Our plane was supposed to leave at like 1 o'clock. But it was delayed. So we didn't get out until about 4 or so. And so three-hour wait for that to go. So we flew into Salt Lake City. While we were there, Marie became a Mormon. We had a long talk about that, but she walked away from it when we got on the plane for Spokane. But we were there for three hours. So we're there in Salt Lake City for three hours. Then we fly to Spokane. We arrive in Spokane about 10 at night, a little after 10. We have a ride waiting for us. My friend Dan and his wife Debbie came to pick us up to drive us to a place at the Canadian border. It's 12 miles away from the Canadian border. So we went to a place called Bonner's Ferry. That was an over two-hour drive. So we get to Bonner's Ferry at a little after 2 in the morning. I got to sleep at 3 because Marie likes to talk. No, I got to... <laughs> So we get to bed at 3. When we got to bed at 3, we got up at 7.30. Marie got up. We together went, and we had to drive to the church. And so Marie left for a while with Debbie and the pastor's wife, and I stayed there. And I taught starting at 9 o'clock. They had worship till 9.30. I taught. Then I was on a panel. Then we taught again. And then the pastor, it's a good guy, took us out. To have a meal. We got into our room around 8. Got to bed between 9 and 10. So we haven't had much sleep. And we've been busy. So get up the next morning. And do two services for him. So the services conclude around 12.30. He wants to take us to lunch. Which is great. So we go to lunch. But we have to drive two hours back to Spokane. And so we got out of the restaurant a little late. And now we're on the freeway, and I'm thinking, this is cutting it pretty close. Now, I mentioned to the church the other day that when Marie and I came from Florida a few weeks ago, we had a five-and-a-half-hour stand in line in Dallas, didn't get our flight, and left the next day. So guess what? I'm thinking, oh, I hope that we don't get stuck because there aren't a lot of flights going out of Spokane. We had to go to Seattle on all of that. So I'm not saying anything. I'm just kind of sitting there, burned out, very tired. And Marie and I, you know, we're old. You know, well, she is. I'm kind of, <laughs> we're old. 
and there's a car fire on the freeway. Yeah. And we are sitting in traffic. And Debbie says, wow, it's 4 o'clock. We haven't even entered into Washington yet. We're still in Idaho. And I'm thinking, here we go. So I call my daughter who made arrangements for us, and I tell her, we're stuck here. What can you do? She says, Dad, I'm not here. She says, I'm out. I'll have to go to the office, see what I can do for you. says, I'm fine. I'm not going anywhere. So <laughs> my friend, my friend um, looks into his little map, and we do a detour. Now I'm starting to get stressed. When I get stressed, I get very quiet. So I'm just sitting there very quietly. But Marie knows that I'm going to get in stress. Why? Because if we miss this flight, I don't know when we're going to get home, right? So we finally get to off the freeway. We go around, and now we're on our way. We get to the airport at 445. After that, it was 450. Boarding was 445. But we still have to go through everything, you know. So we first go up to the ticket. We speak to the guys at the ticket, look at uh, ticket place. Can we, what happens? They said, oh, you're going to miss it. And we said, well, we, we only have carry-ons. He said, then what you need to do is you need to run through the airport screaming at people to get out of your way. Ah! Ah! And I said, yeah, you should be on TV. You're so funny. So, so we start running. Yeah, picture that. <laughs> Trying to hurry up. But we have to go through all of the you know, procedures to get into the area. So, and we have, uh, we, we usually get through, we have certain things that I have that I can, it's pre, it's a pre, I forget it's called pre something or other, but we usually are able to bypass things, not this time, take off your shoes, this and that, holding us up, holding us up. And now I'm starting to go, oh no. And I turned to Marie, I said, I don't know. We finally get through. But it's like, it's, it's, it's after five, uh, well after five. And then we're walking, and now we're standing in this corridor, and it's empty, and you hear Marie Rosales, Marie Rosales, and it's coming over the intercom. So I hear him say, Marie Rosales. So Marie turns to me, and she says, what are they? And she starts talking. What are they saying? What do you think they're saying? I don't know. How can I know you're talking to me? agent of Satan. <laughs> I couldn't hear him. And so I said, ask that lady. So she finally goes and she, and they say, well, it's on this gate. Marie Rosales, you have one minute to get to the gate. So we go into this hall and guess where our gate is? It's the very last gate in the hall. So here we go, dragging our suitcases. And now the, the airline lady is standing there and she yells out to Marie, are you Marie Rosales? And Marie, and it's for the distance away. And Marie says, yes, I'm Marie. Well, hurry up. You've got to get on. And I'm thinking, oh, please. <laughs> Disrespect. We finally get there. We're friendly to her. She acted as if we, we caught her hair on fire. She wasn't happy with us at all. We get on the plane, and anybody who's been the last person on a plane knows how all the passengers smile at you. Hey, glad you could make it, right? And I'm sitting there, and I, and I had said to the church, I said, some of you might have heard me. I said, I'll be teaching on spiritual warfare 
we're going to have some problems. And so anyway, I don't want to ever teach on this subject <laughs> again. That's what happens. Listen, spiritual warfare, sometimes when we think of spiritual warfare, we think in terms of some cosmic battle that's taking place with Michael the archangel and Satan and all. It is small obstacles very often that the enemy puts before you to stumble you, get you irritated, to cause you to lose your joy, to get you stressed. It, it happens all the time. Yesterday, uh, my glasses, I bought new glasses because these glasses that I have, they don't, the prescription's not right for my eyes. I had surgery, so I bought new glasses. And so what happens is um, the glasses aren't working. They have me leave my glasses at the optometrist, but I couldn't find where I put my old ones. And so I'm sitting there at home, and I'm telling Marie, you know what? I'm really stressed right now. And so, it, you know, I did the smart thing. I prayed. I said, I said, God, help me. You know, I'm tired. You know, and, and you know, everything calmed down, and I was able to find my glasses. Marie was wearing them. I couldn't believe that. that and, and, and it's such a, it's such a basic thing, guys. I, I'm telling you those silly little stories because sometimes we think of spiritual warfare in a way that it actually isn't always. It's not always you casting a demon out or whatever. You might see that on TV or hear some fabulous testimony. It's the stressful things and obstacles that the enemy puts before you on a daily basis to steal your joy, to undermine your victory in Christ. And that's where we fail. It's the small things. It's the small things. The small foxes ruin the vines, Song of Solomon says. It's the small things that cause us to just one after another after another till we're finally angry at the kids or mad at our mate or mad at our parents or whatever. It, it's the small things that are added up one thing after another till you finally say, I'm throwing my hands up. I give up. And so we're looking at spiritual warfare, but not just the idea that there are times that you will confront actual evil. That is... And the number one thing the thief wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. And if he can take your joy of the Lord from you, remember the joy of the Lord is my strength. And if he can take the joy of the Lord, if he can quench the work of the Spirit, then he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's disarming you. We have to be aware of this. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Paul said it like this. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So Paul says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. When he says put on, that, that's, that's a tense in the original language that speaks about sinking into or putting on permanently. Be in a state of rest. Put this armor on one time for all time. You see, we have put on Christ and his righteousness. We need to be mindful of who we are and what has happened. See, God's armor is not to be put on occasionally and then removed. We wear it at all times because we're in a constant state of war. 
You see, Paul is speaking concerning this. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Sink into this armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He identifies our, uh, our, our enemy. He's the devil. The word devil is a word, diabolos, it, it is slanderer. It speaks of an accuser. When you read your Bible, the enemy is identified by various names. He's called Abaddon, which means destruction. He's accuser. He's the adversary. He's Apollyon, which means destroyer. He's Beelzebub. He's Belial. He's the great red dragon. He's called the god of this age. He's Lucifer. He's the murderer. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is Satan, our adversary. He's also the serpent. And that's our enemy. But who is this devil? And how did he become the enemy of God and man? Well, we know first that Satan is a fallen angel. There are those who believe that, that uh, Satan is co-equal with God. No, he's infinitely less than God. He was created along with all other creation. In Colossians 1.16, it says, In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is infinitely less than God because he's created with other creation. He was most likely created before God created the heavens and the earth. Job 38 verses 4 and 7 says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. In verse 7 he said, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Morning stars are very often a picture of the sons of God. The sons of God are often the angels. So in the beginning, a great host was created. There are billions of angels. Satan rebelled. He drew away a great number with him. According to Revelation 2, 3, and 4, there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. So there are billions of fallen angels. This great host that fell with him make up a system of government. Notice verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle. When he uses the word wrestle, that speaks of a battle, a struggle. But our battle, our struggle is not against men, against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against demons. Our battle is spiritual and not against human strength and authority. That's something I think the church needs to remember because there's so much evil going on right now that we're, we're failing to remember the origin of that evil. And so those who have been taken by the enemy and are doing as he wills, because their eyes are blind towards the things of God and they reject the gospel, we can see them as our enemies. When in fact, the true enemy is the one who's, who's you know, influencing them, directing them. They, they are by nature children of wrath and they're moving in the direction that their nature takes them to. So, so you know, I, I have to keep my, my eyes on that because... Sometimes I think, well, that that person could be my enemy. But in fact, that person may act as an enemy, but there's an influence that is making them do or encouraging them to do the things 
that are, are so in opposition to the Lord and the things that I would like to see happen. So my battle isn't against a, a human being. It, it's really something beyond that. It's a, it's a spiritual war that we're in. And Paul is speaking about this. Notice how he gives four levels of authority and power that exist in, in what would be called Satan's government. You see, he, he has strategies. He has organization and, and all of that. And so what we see here are four levels of authority. Um, we see principalities. The principalities would be, if you were to be looking at it in a military way, they're the chief ranking demons. You have the enemy who, who is the influencer of them all, but underneath him, you have the principalities, the chief ranking extremely evil demons. Then you have what are called powers. The word power is, is speaking about power that's been delegated to lesser demons from the chief demons. And then you have another layer. They're called rulers. They're, they're actually world rulers. They're demons who influence politics, influence countries. And this, this is of this age, the age that is, is overshadowed by corruption and sin, an age that rejects God. And then you have the spiritual host. These are the foot soldiers. These are the, the ones who provoke vile and wretched immoralities. These are the ones who influence the evil passions like greed and lust and violence, hatred and perversion. These are the ones who are influencing the laws, the customs, the opinions, the values, and the evil intentions of so many. And these are the ones who promote false doctrine and encourage cults and doctrinal error and foster division. And that's what you're seeing. Now, somebody says, well, wait a minute. You're speaking of Satan. Has he always been God's adversary? Has he always been opposed to God? And the answer to that is no. As a matter of fact, when you read your Bible and you look in the book of Ezekiel, at one time he was what is called a guardian cherub. The guardian cherub had the special responsibility of, of as a, being a picture of protecting the holiness of God. And so he held great authority. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17 uh, reads like this. Son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. Say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Satan. Pride led to his fall and the rebellion. 
Ezekiel said, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. Wickedness or iniquity was found in you, and by pride you sinned and fell. Now, Isaiah records what have been called the five I wills of Satan. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will ascend, meaning I deserve heaven by my own power and beauty. I will preside over angels. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be worshipped. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will sit in Mount Zion where God is worshipped. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'm going to reach unattainable heights. I will be like the Most High. I shall be equal to God in every way. Well, what was God's reaction? Ezekiel 28, 17. Again, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. So when he fell, he determined to make war on God as well as God's creation. He entered Eden and began his warfare against man. And he continues in his warfare to this day. Now, again, in verse 11, notice how he had said that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. That speaks of his schemes or his battle plans. You see, what are the battle plans of Satan? How does Satan work against us? Let me give you a few very basic things. What are the techniques, the strategies, the wiles of the enemy? Well, one is number one thing. He cast doubt on the word of God. He cast doubt on the word of God. The first question mark you find in Scripture is found in the book of Genesis in chapter 3 when Satan is speaking to Eve and says, has God said? The very first question mark in the Bible is found in the mouth of Satan questioning the word of God. He has done that from the very beginning. But we're told in John 8, 44, that he is a liar and he is the father of lies. What does he do? One, he tells you the word of God shouldn't be trusted. It's just an old book. There's a lot of holy books. Come on now. How can you say you have God's word preserved for you, please? I mean, there are Buddhists and there are Muslims and there are so many others. So the first thing he says is you, you can't trust God's word. The second thing he does is he convinces people they don't need Jesus Christ. You don't need salvation through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul said it like this. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So he convinces people that they don't need God. They don't need to be saved. That God doesn't mean what he says. And he has at his disposal all media, the internet, TV, radio, newspapers, magazines, books, movies, music, education, the judicial system, political systems are all influenced by him. And it's a 24-hour-a-day onslaught. You know that. I've shared this before. Bears repetition. Marie and I were on our way to do some ministry in England. 
I was sitting on a, um, in a, a train sitting next to a, a woman, and Marie was seated across from us. It was one of those seating that you'd have seats where you would actually would face other passengers. Marie sat across from me, and I was sitting, and this woman is next to me. She was from Massachusetts. I still remember that, and we were speaking. And, you know, I'm, you know I, I, I like to say that I'm shy, and I am in a lot of ways, but I actually can be really friendly, and I enjoy talking to people. And so I turned to her, and I said, hi, how are you? You know, where are you from? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, we're going to be going from, from Dover. We're going into London. It's going to take a while. So I say, you know, <laughs> you know so what's up? You know, so when we're talking... <laughs> And she, she tells me her story, and I'm interested. Well, I'm from Boston, and I do this and I that. And Well, why are you here in England? Oh, she says, I got a job working in bars. They said, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, I sing dirty songs in bars. I said, oh, is that right? <laughs> so do I. No, I said, really? <laughs> and she says, yeah. I said, oh. Well, what do you do? She asked me. So I said, oh, I'm a pastor. That's all I said. I'm a pastor. The next response, I'll never forget. She looks at me. She says, I hate it when people shove their religion down my throat. That's what she tells me. I'm looking at her like, I said, so it's okay for you to do it. She goes, what? I said, it's okay for you to shove your beliefs down people's throats. When did I shove my beliefs down your throats? When do I shove my beliefs down anybody's throats? She got it, angry and antagonistic. I said, when are your beliefs shoved down people's throats? When are your beliefs shoved down my throat? Every time I turn on the TV. Every time I drive my car and I see a billboard. Every time I look at a magazine or turn on the radio. Every time I go and search something on, uh, you know, for something that, that for the information. Every time I turn around, all day long, 24 hours a day, your beliefs are shoved down my throat. And you're telling me that I shove my beliefs down your throat? And she kind of sat there. I said, sing a song now. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm just, I'm playing. But it's true, guys. You know it and I know it. It's true. You don't, you, you just, if you walk in, some places with, with a Bible, you tell me what your reception's going to be. You tell me what this society that we live in is going to do. That's called spiritual warfare. And it's going on constantly. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so he convinces people that God doesn't mean what he says. And these spiritual systems promote the spiritual climate that rejects Jesus. He doesn't destroy faith. He misdirects it to the wrong Savior. In John 4, 3, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. He also inspires bad doctrine, saying things about God that are not true. And since truth sets you free, he inspires error, keeping you in bondage. So what do we do? Verse 13, we're to take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand. We're to be aware of his tactics and aware that we're fighting a spiritual battle. We are to withstand that we may stand. 
The word withstand, it, it says set yourself in opposition. Resist this. Oppose it. The word stand means stand still, stand immovable, stand firmly planted. Oppose until you are the last one standing. We know that Jesus has overcome, and we know that he strengthens us for battle. In 1 Peter 3.22, it speaks of Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So we fight from the perspective of the victor. The war is won. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, it is paid in full. When you and I opened our hearts to Christ, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Christ came in, washed us, cleansed us, saved us, and now he's just preparing us to be with him. The enemy wants to do everything he can to destroy. Amen. He wants to do everything he can to destroy that hope, but he can't. So we make a determination, I will stand. I will stand with my feet firmly planted. I will not be moved. There's nothing this world offers me that is greater than the hope I have in Jesus Christ. Why would I not be faithful to the one who was faithful to the death for me? And so as a believer, we hold firm. We're in a battle, but we fight from the position of the victor. Always understand that it's like a game that's already been played, and we're watching the replay of it. I was standing in line years ago. We were going to a movie. Two young kids were in front of Marie and me. And one of the kids was talking about a game. And he's saying, I think so-and-so is going to win. And the other kid was saying, no, I think so-and-so. This team's going to win. And they were arguing. They're right in front of me. And I was kind of like bored. But I started watching the kids argue. I think this. No, I think that. And so I tapped this one kid on the shoulder. And I said, bet on this team because it won. You see, they were watching a game that was a replay. I already knew who won the game. So I said, bet on this team and bet big because they won. Well, guess what? We're on the winning side. We are already conquerors through Jesus Christ. Understand that. You see, Paul reveals that God has given us armor, and we wear this armor. And we're going to look at those things in detail. But again, we are fighting from the position of the victor, not the victim. You see, Satan is already defeated, and he ends up in the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We in Christ, we win. And so when the enemy comes at you, stand. Don't give in. I'm talking as somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a long time. I'm telling you that just this last week, he is the enemy. It's the small things was putting me through so much. And I finally said, you know, how dumb am I? Jesus, I just ask you, please release this tension from me. I don't want it. And then where are my glasses, Lord? <laughs> and there they are. Went and found them immediately. I told Marie, I said, you know, honey, they're either in one of two places. Either John stole them or they're in my room. <laughs> Hold on, guys. Hold on. So I gave you an introduction. Next week, we begin looking at each 
of the uh, articles of weaponry God has given us. Father, we bless you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have given us in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day.